I didn't really take a step back until it got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm climbing the wrong ladder here. You know, I'm climbing a ladder because I think that this is a ladder that I should be climbing. Because you were told that that's the ladder to climb. Yeah, and it's like financially... Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years, and I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level, a new audacious level. So let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. I am here today with Angelis Cordero. She is a first-gen Latina coach, facilitator, and speaker. She is the founder and CEO of Propel on Purpose slash POP Coaching, whose mission is to empower the career development and financial independence of first-generation students, professionals, and diverse leaders. She does workshops, one-on-one and group coaching and delivers keynote remarks for organizations, students, and professionals. Angelise has a decade of corporate HR experience with specialization in diversity and inclusion, leadership development, talent acquisition, and talent management. She has a bachelor's in behavioral sciences and a master's in HR management. And she serves on two nonprofit boards that empower first-gen students and professionals. Whew, I'm out of breath. Hi, Angelise. Thank you so much for meeting me today to do this podcast. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here. I love the name. Uh, audacious is a word that isn't commonly used, but I love it. I've, I've used that word for a while. Uh, so the moment I saw the word, I was like, I'm in. I need to have this audacious conversation with you. So super excited to be here and to chat all things entrepreneurship. Woohoo, me too. Me too. And it's so nice to hear that because I feel like audacity gets a bad rap. Mm, that's so true. Yes, it can yeah. get a bad rap, but we need more audacity and authenticity and all of the things. <laughs> one thousand, one thousand percent. I agree. So before we get started in talking about your business, I just want to learn a little bit more about you because audience, I am just meeting Angelise for the first time. I was connected to her through a mutual community of people uh, that we both know by doing fearless communicators. And actually you might remember that from the episode that I did with Deb. Do you know Deb? Of course yes, you do. Love Deb, of yes. course. <laughs> yes. Um, and so fearless communicators is a program run by Eduardo Placer, where he basically coaches us on how to give a speech. And then we put on a speech for an audience of like, I don't know, 70 plus people. And mm -hmm. it's very scary, but it's also very beautiful and intense. And we connect with the people in our group so strongly. It's just amazing. So um, Angelise, I'm just curious, what did you speak about? Ooh, um, so first of all, huge shout out to Fearless Communicator, anyone who wants to just be a better public speaker, never mind like mm -hmm. delivering a particular speech you have to go through this program. It's spectacular. And Eduardo and I serve on a, one of the boards that I'm on. That's how I oh. met him. We serve on um, the Cuban American Alliance for Leadership Education together. 
And we've known each other for a few years. And I finally did the program last year. And I have to tell you, it's the best investment that I've made in a training program, not only because of everything that I learned and how it helped me. And I have delivered that that has become my keynote in my business, what I developed then. Um, I've, I've developed it. I've delivered it a few times. I've been paid to do it. But aside from the critical learnings, it's just so much fun. And Eduardo is one of those people that he embodies what it looks like to do the work that you're called to do to really use your gifts, your talents, your superpowers, and be fully authentic in what you're doing. He's just the embodiment of that. So it was, it was just a, a true joy to see him in action and to be, you know, a student of his. So definitely check it out if you're interested. So I met Eduardo through Kaya and I participated in Fearless Communicators and my keynote was, uh, I think it's called the the hot pizza where I tell a few different stories and kind of like thread them that. together. Okay. Yeah. That's like one of the, that might the be a new thing that yeah. he's created. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's like one of like the, the kind of like speeches that you can, you know, uh, a way of telling stories. So there's different templates essentially that you can use and he's named okay. it after other like fearless speeches. And one of them oh. is the hot pizza. That's one of them. You can YouTube it. It's a wonderful one. That's so it's cute. Like telling, okay. Yeah. It's like telling a few different stories threading them together under an overarching theme. So I talked about my personal story, which relates to what we're going to talk about here. I am the first in my family to come to this country. Well, I'm my mom and I came to this country when I was four years old from Cuba. Okay. And I'm the first in my family to go to college, earn a bachelor's degree, and have to navigate that process. And then eventually I realized it would mean a lifetime of first. So I'm the first to earn a master's degree, to work in corporate America and to navigate these spaces that are very different from, you know, the spaces that my family has navigated. The community that I grew up in was predominantly Hispanic in a working class urban city in New Jersey. And so going to the suburbs for school to a predominantly white institution, you know, being around really wealthy people for the first time, that's something that shaped me in college. And then I realized there's a whole other world that I haven't seen or been exposed to. And now I have to learn how to navigate with all of these identities that I grew up with. And how do I navigate these spaces where there's not a lot of people who look like me or have had similar experiences. And so that first gen experience, when I think about diversity in my identity and the challenges that I face, I never, very seldom has it been because I'm a woman. I've mostly worked in female dominated spaces. Very seldom has it been because of I'm Latina. My first job was working for a nonprofit organization that was for the Hispanic community. So everybody that I worked with was Hispanic. And so and, and then I went on to pursue a career in corporate HR, although I was in a female domin- in a female dominated environment, mm-hmm. I worked for male dominated industries like finance. And so I, I still would say that being a woman was an advantage because I was around a bunch of other women and there were female leaders. But being the first is an, indi- an invisible dimension of uh, diversity that we don't know unless mm. someone discloses that like, hey, I'm the first to have to navigate this space. And mm. some of the challenges that I faced were related to that because I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, when I was struggling with something, I didn't know it was, you know, a symptom of 
not having access to that information or having role models or mentors that could help guide me. And then being really embarrassed about not knowing and not being able to admit those things. And that's where like a lot of that imposter syndrome comes in where you're like, I don't think I belong here. And it's like, no, you're just learning this space. And that's why you feel that way. So I had to navigate that entire, you know, journey and at some point in my 20s, when I felt very lost and stuck and I had no idea what I wanted to do for my career, I thought it would be great if I had someone who could like literally handhold me through this process. A mentor, yeah. Right. Um, so essentially, I went on to build that thing. So I built a coaching business that focuses on first-gen students and professionals and that particular identity. And so in my speech, I talk about those core principles that I coach professionals through, which is really understanding your purpose and the purpose of why you pursue any given career path, business, whatever it may be, just general life choices. So I focus on purpose. And then power as in tapping into your powerful gifts, your skills, your experiences, and authentically showing up in the world with all of that and using it to empower others and to pay it forward. But really, you know, being proud of those powers that you have, because sometimes we shy away from using them or we, you know, right? Yeah. I Um, feel like every single person on the planet has some sort of skill or strength or talent or characteristic that they've never even considered could be something they could build a business around or something that they could monetize or something that somebody else would find value in. Like there's at least one, even if they've maxed out some of their other skills, I feel like there's always more that they don't even think about. Exactly. And that brings me to the last piece. So these are the three P's is pay. We worry so much about pay, money, income, all of these things. And oftentimes we're making career and life choices from a place of like survival mode. So I Uh talk about the survival mode mindset, especially when you're the first, you feel so much pressure to be successful. And oftentimes that comes with a price tag. And so you're worried about that. And instead of pursuing a career path that's aligned with your purpose or your power, you just go for the pay and you think it's a this or that, but it's as Eduardo always says, it's a yes. And like, yes, you can do the thing that you love that, you know, is purpose-driven that taps into your power and you get well paid to do that. That is like the the dream. That is the actual dream, not whatever we're sold as the dream that, you know, our family sacrificed for us to have, you know, by being the first ones to do it. And so it's really a mindset shift that I'm helping folks go through going from that survival mode to pop mode, propel on purpose, pun always intended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's, that's essentially what I do and how I, how it sort of came to be. So in that keynote, I talk through, I give three key stories around my life that really kind of show the evolution to this point of how now I have my full-time business and why this is my focus. I have, I have a lot of questions now. (laughs) Love Um, it. First comment though. So everybody knows I'm going to put your speech, if that's okay with you in the show notes so that they can look it up and listen. Absolutely. First, I'm just curious how, like, how long have you had this business? When did you start? So that's one of the stories. So I actually went on to pursue this career in corporate HR after I graduated with my master's. 
And it was the kind of thing where I graduated after being unemployed for a year because my first job was in the nonprofit sector. I was there for four years. And then the, the funding um, changed because of change in government. It was also like the peak of a financial crisis. Wow. And so I knew that I was going to be out of a job and I used that as an opportunity to go back to school and pursue my master's. This was in oh. 2009. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And so I use that as an opportunity to pursue my master's. And I did it in in one year. So I did a one year full-time program. And so when I graduated, I thought, well, I have been out of a job for a year of over a year. um, So I just need a job and I will figure it out from there. And so I literally took the first opportunity that came my way. And that's very much a survival mode mindset reaction, right? Yeah. But I thought it's fine. I will just figure it out. That's the that's the immigrant first gen way we just push through. And so I got to corporate America and I had a number of different roles trying to figure out what was the kind of job that I really wanted to do in HR. And at first it was an operations role. Then I went into like a generous role and I knew that the kind of work that I wanted to do had to empower people in some capacity because that's what I loved about being in the nonprofit sector before that. And I thought I, I didn't get a master's in HR to like manage data or to be in systems. Like that's not aligned with like my interest or like those aren't my, super, I can do that job and I can do that well, but that's not where my power lies, right? So I, at least I, I had that inclination of like, this isn't it. And I have to try and explore a number of different things till I get to the point where, okay, this is more aligned. And so when I finally reached that role, it was in 2018, I, uh, I got promoted into the manager of a leadership development program in finance for my last employer. And for me, that was the dream job at that point in my career, because I love working with early talent. I, you know, they're, they're fresh, uh, the recent college graduates. And so they're, you know, little sponges, they're open and, you know, they are coachable and they're typically really high performing. And I just vibe better with people who are ambitious and high performing and, you know, want to be strong in what they do. And so that was it. That was the dream. And at the time, um, my partner and I were dating for the second time around. (laughs) And um, he is a salesperson by trade. Like he was in financial services for a number of years. He was a financial advisor until he quit and, you know, went the startup route and then ended up founding his own startup and also has, has had a number of side businesses. And so at that point, we were having sort of like a rift in our relationship because of time commitments. And I had my full-time job and that was it. And he had like these multiple businesses that he was managing in the one that he had just started. And he said to me, well, you know, that coaching business you've always wanted to do, why don't you finally do it? And I like wanted to punch him in the face. When he said that. <laughs> oh, like, why? Why would I-, I feel like that's such a common feeling, right? Like right. <laughs> when, when you, you have this sort of dream and you mention it here and there, and then somebody's just like, okay, we'll do it. Then you're like, right. no, like F you, what do you mean? Do it. I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. It was like, right? I finally got to like the dream job and you're asking me to start a side business. What? That's insane. <laughs> Why would I do that to myself? You are just trying to keep me busy so that I won't complain about you not having enough time. <laughs> Uh, But what I realized that even though I had reached this like dream job and I really enjoyed it and I loved it, 
I always wanted to do the coaching thing, but I didn't think that I had had, I, ha- I didn't think I had made it. If I'm honest, it's like, oh, I need to reach these milestones and have these accolades and, you know, amass all of these experiences in order to be seen as an expert, in order to really have something valuable to teach people. Like I have to make it in order to teach other people how to make it. And so I was like, well, if I'm following that logic, which is flawed, by the way, that's like totally not true. Because you never make it. (laughs) You never make it. You're never there. And every time you step up or every time you level up, the marker of where making it is moves up also exactly yeah exactly and so that's just the story we tell ourselves to continue procrastinating Uh or out of fear of pursuing the thing and potentially failing exactly and so I was like you know what (laughs) right I was like you know what there's something here uh I do have the bandwidth I can do it so let me figure out what this will look like so I started in 2018 at the end of it and then I officially launched like six months later in 2019. So I worked my full-time job and I did the coaching business on the side. And it was very, you know, ad hoc. I wasn't consistently, it probably wasn't until after 2020 that I was more consistently pursuing uh, clients actively. Initially, it was all through like referrals from my network. And so if something okay. came in, then I would, you know, I would have that client and I would do some social media marketing, was, but I was yeah, treating it, was it like, like a, a side business. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was making money. It made money the okay. first year and the second year, you know, um, but it wasn't, I wasn't treating it like I was going to leave corporate America because I never thought I was. I actually thought I love this organization. I love this job. I want to continue to grow and get to a certain level. And maybe depending on when, where I am then, then I'll pivot and to this full time, but I didn't go into, there's a lot of people that start their side business and they're doing it for a while in tandem with their full-time job as their strategy to exit. Like that's their exit plan. I didn't go into it with that mentality. In fact, one of my girlfriends, when I first said it out loud, like, I think I'm ready to like pursue this full-time. She was shocked. She was like, what? I've never heard you say that. You're always the 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 person I looked up to because you actually love what you do. And it's like, I do. And the thing is that here's like a pearl. I love to say pearls of wisdom instead of, you know, like a gem, because I love pearls. Mm -hmm. So here's a (laughs) pearl of wisdom for everybody. Uh, We have to stop leaving relationships, whether that's a career, work relationship, or any sort of relationship, when it's gotten to the point where it's toxic, like too many sweet people, especially Mm. when it comes to career, like you wait until you can't take it anymore. And that's when you start looking at other opportunities. But there's a point way before then, when you know that something has sort of like run its course, it's like, Like you've outgrown it. Exactly. It's like, this isn't bad. There's nothing wrong here, but I know that I've outgrown it. I know that it served its purpose. And it's no longer giving me the same sense of like meaning and joy. And like, we spend a lot of time working or at work. And if you're spending so much time, that should be something that you are jazzed about most of the time, 80, 20, I would say, you know, and the work itself was great. I loved working with our associates, but I started, especially, I think big symptom of the pandemic, it changed everything. And so that changed the nature of the job, the interactions, all of those things. But I think what it made me realize is I I just want more flexibility and freedom Mm -hmm. with my time, with my creativity and with, you know, what I create in the world. 
And that's not corporate. Corporate, you need permission for everything. You need buy-in, you got to collaborate. And, and sometimes you're collaborating with people who don't have the same expertise, who aren't as smart, who just have more, you know, power and authority. And like that piece of it started to like, you know, get to the point where it's like, this, this makes it less enjoyable for me. Yeah. And so I do need to pivot and do this and, and just finally take the full-time leap. So I'm full-time since I would say November is when I left corporate, but really this year in January was like, okay, that's it. That chapter has closed. Okay, now we're wow. full throttle with the business. So January, 2022 is when you quit your corporate job. November, 2021. And then, oh. uh, you know, it was the holidays and my birthday's okay. in December. So I was like, I'm going to take the rest of the year to just kind oh, of that's nice. close the chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then boom, January 1st, like here I am. Full that's interesting. That's interesting to me too, because it's like, once you started, how long were you doing your, the side business, the coaching, um, before you decided that no, no, no. Okay. I'm done with this corporate job. Yeah. I think officially like two years. Wow. That two is a long years. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, okay. Once she got a taste of autonomy, once she got a taste of like, oh, I can make this happen on my own. I don't need permission from anybody. I don't need to like check with somebody before I do something. Then that was when she was like, okay, no, I can't handle working for other people or, mm-hmm. or being under the thumb of other people anymore. But no, you, you did it for two years. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, because that's survival mode. I thought I have to keep working this full-time job and I have to get to like the director level so that, you know, if anything were to happen, I still have that under my belt. That's Well, because corporate equals safe, quote unquote. Right, exactly. It it equals safe. It equals, you know, a steady paycheck and predictable income. Had your parents ever worked in corporate? No, no, actually it's the opposite. My mom is an entrepreneur. She's always been, oh. she's always had like form different forms of businesses, but that meant growing up that like we were living paycheck to paycheck because she, she had the ideas, but you know, everything was self-taught. It wasn't like she went to school and learned yeah. how to run a business and all these different things. So I think I developed the opposite it's like, no, I need a safe and secure career path because I remember the pain of like being worried about money and I don't want that kind of a life. So in my mind, entrepreneurship equaled pain, equaled unpredictable income. It equaled like, oh, uh, that's just not not safe. And so I had to test the water, which I, this is why I think it's important for people to tell their stories when it comes to entrepreneurship, because sometimes it gets glorified. And yes, it is wonderful to have the flexibility and the freedom to own your time and your creativity and all these things but it's not for the faint at heart because you have to be very strategic you have to have discipline you have to do all these you have to be able to shoulder a crap ton of stress at times yeah and you have to be able to not go insane when that happens exactly like there's so much that goes into it and everybody has a different path so you know, even my partner and I totally different. Like he's, he loves being an entrepreneur and always has. And for him, he literally just quit his job overnight and like started to pursue a business. It didn't work. So then he pivot, he went to startup and then, you know, he, he's okay with, he's more, his risk appetite is much larger than mine. Uh So I had to do it this way where it was like, okay, let me dip the toe in and see what it's like having a side business. And for a while it was, 
that this is just like a multiple streams of income play. Like I have my full-time job and I have my side business and, you know, making multiple streams of income this way. And I have to do this in my mind. I have to do this for a little bit longer so that I can have more of a cushion and then I'll take the leap. Exactly. So yeah, it took a while. I think that that is so great because you already had these stories that were the opposite Like the Mm -hmm. stories that you had was that entrepreneurship was painful, was, you know, dangerous, all of Mm -hmm. these things. Right. And, and you still allowed yourself to dabble Mm -hmm. and then you just allowed that you were open with it. Right. You allowed that to sort of like run its course and see where that took you. And Mm -hmm. that's really nice because I feel like a lot of people shut themselves down. They might have those same stories of, no, I can't do it on my own. No, entrepreneurship is uncertain. What if, you know, nobody buys my product? What if nobody buys my service? You know, they have all of these stories. And so they don't even try. They don't Mm -hmm. even dabble. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. And I I think that's why you have to figure out what works for you. For me, it works better having a full-time income so that I could explore. And, you know, when I first started, I was doing coaching for small business owners and my first client, my first two clients were the co-founders of this, you know, digital marketing small business. And I loved that. And I did some HR consulting for them too. And then that evolved into doing more one-to-one coaching for professionals that were looking to make a career transition and doing resumes and LinkedIn. And then I realized, well, it's, it's a harder, it's a harder business case or proposition for someone who's so ingrained and like, no, that the way that I was like, no, I have to have this full-time job. Um, and, and it's not even like, forget about pivoting to entrepreneurship. There are people who won't even change industries or change companies because they're so scared about what the other side's going to look like. The fear Mm -hmm. is like deeply rooted, right. For all of us, like that's just how our brain is wired. And so you have to learn how to manage your brain and your body and make decisions and, you know, really take those risks because that on the other side of that, it's scary, but there's so much joy that can exist if you really follow, you know, the, the calling for your purpose. Like I firmly believe that we all have a purpose and there's, you know, gifts and ideas that we have that there's a reason why they're planted in our minds. Like there, you know, not everybody has the same ideas if you think about it. Right. So there's a reason why you had the idea to start this podcast and you saw the need that people had in having these conversations and to boldly, audaciously pursue their, their entrepreneurship ideas. So the journey looks different for everyone, which is why I think it's so important for everyone who has an idea or an entrepreneurial like calling of some sort uh, to explore the possibilities. You don't have to quit your job and launch a business. You can do it on the side. You can do the research. You can figure out what that exit plan, if that's what you want to do. There are plenty of people who continue to do both. So that is also viable. So there isn't one clear path for anything, but especially not for entrepreneurship. And if you are a little bit more risk averse, like I have been, I think it really helps to have conversations with other entrepreneurs because it's hard to be what you can't see. And when I was in corporate, that's all that I saw. People working in corporate America, the grind, like that was the example. And so I thought that was the life that I had to live. Right. It wasn't until I started the side business and then started engaging with other entrepreneurs where I saw, well, there are a lot of people who are making money with their business 
And it isn't just a side business. So this is viable too. It's just a very different approach, different skill set that I have to use and really honing in on what's the need that I'm looking to solve for. And at least in those two and a half years, I had the opportunity to explore that. And I could do that without the pressure of making money. So that worked for me. So it could work for others. There are some people like my partner who are more, you know, their, their risk tolerance is a lot higher and he has the mindset of you have to burn the ship. So it's like, I, he couldn't do the full-time corporate thing and do the side because his mentality is if, if I have this steady stream of income, I'm going to be very comfortable with that. And actually for him, what works is the discomfort of knowing that he has to figure out a way to make money. It's what like propels him to, you know, grind and, you know, do the sales outreach and really like pursue the business full throttle. So he doesn't like the comfort. You know, what sign and for is me, he? it was the opposite. He's a Virgo. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know about Virgos. What sign are you? <laughs> I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, I don't know about that either. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Aries gets along really well with Sag. I know yes, that we're, we're good fire match. signs. Yeah, yeah, we're fire signs. Yeah, yeah. But I don't um, know in terms of, I was thinking like if he was going to be an Aries or something, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, no, but you know, the, the point of it is, you have to figure out what works for you mm-hmm. and just have a lot of conversations with different people who have had different paths. If yeah. you talk to the same kind of path, then you're, you're not going to find different answers. You're just, sometimes exactly. we do this, right? Like we go look for the information that's only going to support the theory that we already have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a big part of sabotaging and procrastination and perfectionism is like the biggest one. It's like, oh, I can't do this until it's perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Just do it. And then figure out the kinks along the way. So this is like a weird thing that I've been thinking about lately because I, I, my apartment, so I live in Miami. And so the rental rates have just skyrocketed over the last year. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and so my lease is just, has just come up. Um, well, it, it, it's coming up at the end of May. I was like sort of worried that I was going to have to move, but I didn't know yet. And then they finally told me and they told me that they're going to raise my rent some crazy amount so that, you know, I'm like, okay, now I have to move. But it was so scary in that moment because I have a daughter and it's just her and I and so I don't know what I'm going to do because if I find another place it's going to be just as expensive Mm -hmm. or I'm going to have to find like a crappier place Mm -hmm. and I don't want to go backwards Um, and so then what you know I'm trying to think of like all these other things and I the first day when I found out I started panicking but then there was something that happened where I was just like you know what Worst case scenario, I'm going to put all my stuff in storage and I'm going to take a vacation for two months for summer. And then I'll figure it out when I come back, you know? Mm -hmm. And once I sort of got comfortable with the worst case scenario, I mean, I don't, I don't want it to sound like a Debbie Downer kind of thing where you got to think about the worst case scenario, but it's like, if you do think about all scenarios Mm -hmm. and then you think about that worst case scenario, like for example, I start this business and I put 10 grand into it. And I've quit my job and I lose that 10 grand and the business flops and I fail. Worst case scenario is that I have to then go back and apply for jobs Mm -hmm. or I have to, you know, rent a room in my friend's apartment because I can't afford my own apartment, you know, or like 
like once you sort of get comfortable with that worst case scenario, then it kind of takes the fear away, Mm -hmm. you know? And then you're like, okay, well, no matter what happens, even if the worst case scenario happens, I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. There are still options even at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I talk to my clients about often is how do you navigate this decision? Let's break it down. And oftentimes the worst case scenario isn't that bad. It's, it's not yes, that bad. I, if I, if I pivot to full-time entrepreneurship, then I just go back to the job that I hated <laughs> or some the most version the, of it. Right. Yeah. The scariest part is not even knowing the outcomes, the possible outcomes, you know, it's like the uncertainty of the outcomes. But once you name those possible outcomes then you're like, Oh, okay, fine. I can work with that. Yeah. And so many people get caught up on the potential outcomes that they don't do the research that's mm-hmm. going to either prove or disprove some of these theories that they have. So you might think, oh, there isn't a need for this. And then what if I feel? And then you go down the rabbit hole of failure instead of the rabbit hole of like, what are the possibilities? What is the need? What are the price points? Who else is doing this? What does competition yeah. look like? What is the marketplace? What are their future projections? That's where you should spend most of your time. Mm-hmm doing, not worried about the possibility of the failure. And there is no such thing as failure. Firm believer, there's no such thing as failure. There are just lessons. Everything that doesn't work out how we want it to work out, it's not happening to us. It's happening for us. And your job is just to figure Mm -hmm. out what's the lesson here and how Mm -hmm. do I use this to my advantage? And trust me, this is coming from someone who is great at throwing herself a pity party. So I mean, I sometimes we need a pity party. Sometimes right. we need like, you know, a 24 hour pity party, maybe mm-hmm. God forbid a week long pity party. If it's like a really bad thing. And then you just like pull up your pants and you get yeah. going again. You pull up your big girl panties. So you, you know, you, you can get hung up. on like, Oh, why is this happening? I can't believe this happened to me. I'm, I'm such a failure. And when you fail once, that doesn't make you a failure. It just means that particular situation didn't work out. And so it's about the concept of failing fast. So going through whatever didn't work out, what's the lesson here? How do I use this to my advantage? And then keep it moving. So you have to get really good at that. Like, sorry. Yeah. I, I agree with that so strongly. Like I think too, that people are like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, that's the end. There's nowhere to go from there. But like you're saying, it's, there's no failure. It's just, okay, this is the feedback we've gotten, right? Maybe nobody Mm -hmm. likes this product. Maybe nobody wants to buy this product, right? Okay. Well, we noticed that they were asking for this kind of product, or they wanted this kind of color or this material, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, we, that's another reason why people don't start is because they think, okay, well, if that doesn't work, then that's it. But what Mm -hmm. they don't realize is that they're going to get all this feedback, all of this information, it's going to lead them into either another direction totally, or just pivot them a little bit so that they can actually provide what their market is wanting. Yeah. And I love that you're mentioning this because the other thing that I think happens often is that people don't want to talk about what they're doing. They're, <gasps> I hate this. Oh, I yes. want to do an entire podcast on this. Yeah. In the Latino community, there's this um, thing called El Mal de Ojo. Uh, so uh, the bad like, eye. 
the bad eye, the evil eye. And so culturally we're taught not to talk about things, not Mm -hmm. to share good news because people don't, and, and the, like, you have to look at what's the message under there. It's saying that people inherently don't want great things for you. Right. And And don't ask for help. Yeah. Right. And so don't ask for help, do things on your own. Don't tell anyone anything. And that is so isolating. That's the opposite of my strategy. (laughs) Yes. My strategy is literally like, I'm going to, every, I'll see you in the hallway. We've never met before. I'm going to tell you all my plans. I'm going to tell you what happened to me last week. And then we're going to go out for a drink tomorrow night because of it. But yeah, but I see this on Instagram all the time. Mm -hmm. Like all of these business, all of these like wealth building accounts, they're always like, don't tell people your business until after you've done it. I think that's bullshit. Like Mm -hmm. I, the reason that I was able to open so many businesses in such a short amount of time is because I never stopped talking to people about what I wanted to create. Yep. And the more you talk, the more you find people who also want to create those things or at least want to make money. So they'll give you their money to create mm-hmm. the thing that you want to create. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or they'll connect you to resources, to mm-hmm. clients, to referrals, or they'll give you feedback like, oh, that's not yeah. a great idea. Or like, have you thought about this? So you can't create in a vacuum. That's no. just the quickest way to failure. You need people because they're going to be your customers. They're going to be your investors. They're going to be your partners. People. Yeah. You need to tell everyone what you do. So this this mindset of like, I can't tell anyone, I have to do it on my own. I can't share good news. The The embedded message there is that you, people don't want what's best for you. And that mindset itself is going to block you from other things. Because if that's the mindset in which you address your business and you cultivate your business, then you're putting limiting beliefs. And so you're going to inherently come across those limiting beliefs and put them there for yourself, as opposed to shifting your mindset to a growth mindset where like, you have to believe people want what's best for me. I'm blessed. I'm going to make great connections. People want to see me succeed. Uh, People want to pay for my services. My customers love me. Like you have to give yourself those positive affirmations and firmly believe that that's true. And therefore talk about your business, get the feedback, get people to help you. I just wanted to take a quick break here to remind you about the event I am hosting on May 26th in North Miami. It is called Let's Get Financially Lit, literate that is. And we are going to have five female speakers from the finance industry teach us about financial wellness and wealth building. Additionally, we have some great companies and brands who have agreed to sponsor us with some food and beverage and maybe some giveaways. So we've got Greywell Gin, Press Spiked Seltzer, Helix Vodka, Dade Plant Co. is going to donate something for our giveaway. The Nail Witch in Wynwood is going to donate a free manicure. Vicky's Bakery is going to donate a bunch of snacks for us. So we have a lot going on May 26th. You really got to go and get your ticket on Eventbrite as soon as possible before it gets sold out. And you're going to learn a lot. You're going to eat some tasty food. You're going to drink some tasty drinks. And you're going to network your little heart out. So looking forward to it. Looking forward to see you. Send me a message. Let me know that I will be seeing you there. And let's get back into it. One of the 
the big things that I talk about with many of my clients is that mindset and separating, you know, your dream from like your parents' dream. So like they came here, they sacrificed for the American dream, but what does that mean to you? Because what I realized in my journey was like, I'm, I was pursuing all of these dreams, but I wasn't, I didn't really take a step back until it got to the point where it's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm climbing the wrong ladder here. You know, I'm climbing a ladder because I think that this is a ladder that I should be climbing. Because you were told that that's the ladder to climb. Yeah, financially rewarding. But is this really the life that I want? Do I want to, you know, hurry up and get ready and then go to an office and work, you know, this schedule and then hurry back home? And like, I felt like I was constantly in a hurry before the pandemic. Like that was my life. I would get up. I would, you know, try to do some work on my business. I I was part of this like 5 a.m. club because that's the only time I could squeeze it in. So it's like from five to seven, I'm going to work on my business and then I'm going to shower and get ready and, you know, take the bus and then pick up my Starbucks on the way to the train and the train walks, you know, like constantly in a hurry right <laughs> I can't even like I can't even get myself to Trader Joe's without it being a thing yeah you don't <laughs> have time for your own life right didn't have time but somehow I did it like I figured out yeah. a way to make that work and then I would go to events and go to networking happy hours and all these things it's Jeez. like a very active life and I was like yeah. I'm exhausted like this isn't it this is yeah. not the life that I want I'm working all the time I'm sure that this wasn't the American dream my mom thought of when she said, you know, let's leave everything behind and go to the United States. And so it's really important for us first gens to disassociate from somebody else's dream in your family and create your own dream and pursue your own path. And so, yeah, I think that we have those parents who put on a lot of that pressure and that guilt and it's all coming from a place of love and being protective but really Mm -hmm. from their own fears and trying to protect us or those parents my mom actually is of that camp of like just figure it out do whatever you want to do I trust you're gonna figure it out well she's a risk taker it sounds like she's more of a risk taker however that for me was like well then I don't have like that guidance so then I created the, the path that I created or the path that I was pursuing, it wasn't her path because she was like, do whatever you want to do. But it was the path that I saw other people in my network taking because those were the examples that I had. And it was like, yeah, yeah. corporate's the way to go. You know, working in HR aligns with my skill set. And, you know, I do enjoy this. And now that I'm here, I'm in this environment. How do I navigate this environment to be successful? And that's what I was doing, like following, you know, those mentors that I had in the corporate space. Once I got a taste of entrepreneurship, I was like, yeah, this is much better. <laughs> I like this nice better. Piece. This is more my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you have talked a lot about the survival mode mindset of first gens. And you mentioned taking that sort of first good opportunity that presents itself and taking or looking for the highest paying thing. What, what are some other things associated with that? The survival mind? Oh, survival mode mindset. Oh, so that mindset is based on um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So in Uh in psychology, there's this pyramid that says you really can't think about the, our needs are in this tiered way. And you really can't think about the next rung of the pyramid and the hierarchy unless that foundation the foundational rungs are met so like the first Mm -hmm. one is like your basic needs like food shelter 
you know, safety, like those kind of, actually I think basic needs is like food, water, shelter. And then the next one is like safety, like physical safety. And then you go into like things like love and belonging community. And at the peak of the, the pyramid is self-actualization. And so for us first genders, especially if you're immigrant or child of an immigrant, you know, you're, you're going up that pyramid and you get to the point where you might be in the orange, like love and belonging. And you think that that's as good as it's going to get. Right. And so you don't want to risk losing everything because people don't think of it as a pyramid. I think of it as like a ladder because we're used to like the corporate ladder. And so they think if I go up to self-actualization, if I risk to find the thing that makes me feel self-actualized, then I'm going to lose it all and I'm going to fall down the ladder. And it's not a ladder, it's a pyramid. So you have these things and you were able to acquire and fulfill these needs. So that means that you have the skills to do that. You didn't lose that. If You're not going to lose that because you had to work really hard to learn how to get a job, how to be successful in a job, how to um, you know, manage your life and your finances and all these things. So you have that already. If you're thinking about pursuing a business, those are the things that you tap into. You tap into those skills, you tap into that network and you leverage all of that to your advantage. You're not gonna fall down the ladder. You have the foundations. The only way is up. You just have to figure out the how. And so many people get caught up in the failure, the potential failure, which we just talked about that they don't do enough work in figuring out the how. Because if you do, there is always a how, you know? But you have to have also a a clear, the other things that I talk about to my clients often is clarity, confidence, and courage. And clarity is the most difficult one. A lot of people think, well, I don't know what I want to do, or I have too many different interests. And it's because they haven't given themselves the opportunity and the permission to take a step back and really think through that. Mm-hmm. I think, think about it. When you have conversations, maybe maybe not you or, or me, because we're more open to like just talking things out. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people will just talk through an idea and usually they get resistance from the person they're talking to because it's a loved one. So automatically they're going to be protective and they're going to dissuade you. Um, and then you stop talking about it, which is why I think coaching is so instrumental. Talking to someone who is an expert and is not biased at all, Mm -hmm. can be a clear canvas and just mirrors for you the things that you're saying can really help you realize, oh, I've been saying that I want to pursue this for a long time, but actually as I'm talking through it, as I say it out loud to you, or as I map this out on a piece of paper, I realize this other thing I've been really curious about. So I had a client who was a project manager for years. She has a master's in, in project management. She's done it for over a decade. And then by like our second coaching session, I'm like, I'm not sure why we're still talking about you pursuing another project management job because you keep talking to me about this baking business that you love Uh doing. (laughs) Let's explore that for this next session. And sure enough, like it, it became very apparent that she thought she was burnt out because of the company that she was working for. It's like, no, I think you're burnt out because you're doing this thing that you're very good at, but you're no longer enjoying. Yeah. And instead you have this other thing that you enjoy so much, but you don't think you can do it as a business because you tried and, you know, then she expanded her family. And so a lot of things happened that dissuaded her from pursuing it. And I'm like, well, why not try it again now with all of the experiences that you have and the know-how and 
with the power of social media and the way that you can market this, I think that this there's something here, this has legs. And so getting clear on the what is very important when you're pursuing some kind of business idea. Like what is it that I'm offering and who's it going to benefit from? Because that's how you monetize it. Like yeah. you can love doing something, but if it's not consumable in some capacity, then how are you going to make money, right? So you have to figure out and be very clear on that. And then what keeps businesses going is that you have to love that. You have to love doing that. If you're just doing it for the money, yeah, that can work. And a lot of people do that. But I think you have to be genuinely like curious about what it is that you're doing or you're creating or you're producing or you're you're making because that will sustain you in the long term, you know? Yeah. I have, I have a few thoughts on that. The, I agree with you that passion is necessary because I think it's what propels you over and through the obstacles. Like there will be so many obstacles that if you're not passionate, if you don't care that much about the thing, then you'll just be like, Oh, you know what? This is too difficult. This is too hard. I'm tired. Like bye enough. Um, so I think passion is important. Yeah. The other thing is that I I was having a conversation with my friend and I think I even talked about this in another podcast, but I think it's very common for specifically women, because that's who I hear it from. I don't know if men have this problem too, but they, they have all of these ideas every day. They're like, Ooh, that could be a new idea. Or, Oh, I love doing that. I can make that into a business. And then they get stuck. Like you said, because they don't know which one to choose or which direction to go in. And a lot of times people think if they choose one of them, they are throwing all the other ideas away, mm-hmm. but that's, that's not what it is. You might choose one and explore that. You might choose mm-hmm. one, research that, talk to some people about it and, and see if that feels good because you might get, you know, six months into it and be like, you know what, actually, I don't love this. Like this isn't as awesome as I thought it would be, you know, and then, oh, but I have this other idea. Okay. Well, let me pivot into that idea and see if that one feels right. It's like, um, the three with Goldilocks, you know, like, oh, this porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. Let me find the right one. And I think people don't think about it that way. They think if I'm going to start a business, that's it. Like I have to commit a hundred percent and I can't be wrong because it's such a big risk that if I'm wrong, I'm screwed. No, if you're wrong, you just try something else. No Mm -hmm. big deal. Those other ideas can just be there waiting for you. Well, that's such a valid point because we think about entrepreneurship and small business ownership as one and the same, and they're not. There's a difference between being an entrepreneur and being a small business owner. You can be a business owner, but a business owner will likely just have that one business. When you're an entrepreneur, you have a series of businesses. That's what entrepreneurship is. The ability to be able to launch a business, hopefully make really good money. And then you have another idea and you want to explore that. That's entrepreneurship. The constant ability to build, to create, to monetize, I think is the best way to describe the entrepreneurship spirit. But if you're a business owner, that's different. Then you just want this one business and that's what you're going to dedicate your life to. So it's getting clarity. It's like, what do I really want? Do I want to be a business owner? And this is going to be, this is it. This is my business that I'm going to build and grow and sell or whatever. Or am I going to be an entrepreneurship who's going to start businesses and sell businesses and, you know, whatever. So I think that's a big part of the clarity piece. It's like, be clear on what is it that you want to do? And more so, and I tell this, especially to college students, it's not about 
creating a life around the work that you do. It's the opposite. It's like, what's the life that you want to lead? And then go find the career, the business, whatever that's going to support that lifestyle. Because there are so many people who are actively disengaged at work because that job isn't meeting their needs. Like it's not meeting their like hierarchy of needs and they don't enjoy the work that they're actually doing. So it's like your work, yeah. That reminds, I have a friend who is, a doctor. He always tells me how, how like crazy busy he is, how he like hardly has time for a personal life. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I understand like, okay, doctors have to be really serious about their job. Mm-hmm. I get that, but it is, it's, he's building a life around the career mm-hmm. as opposed to finding or deciding what kind of life he wants and then building um, the, the career around that kind of life. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great example of that in my head. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And people go full on in those journeys of doctor, lawyer, and then they get to the career and they hate it Yeah, (laughs) because they didn't really give themselves the the permission. And and I get it that that's also coming from a place of privilege. Like not everybody has the privilege to explore and to follow different career paths because they do have to you know, feed families and do whatever it takes. So I get that. I'm speaking to a population of first-gen students and professionals who have had those opportunities and and can do some of that exploration, but they still don't. Or they're like, you know, 15 years down a career and they've amassed all of the privileges, they're financially well, but they still won't take that risk because of all of the fear. What can first gens do about the guilt that they feel from either wanting to get rid of the safe option and go out on their own or actually pulling that trigger and doing it? Because I imagine even just thinking about that before you've taken action around it, I, I imagine that that even gives you guilt. So, and then when you actually do do it, I mean, maybe after a while it dissipates because once you start doing the thing and you see that it's progressing and you see that you're bringing in money and you're, you're safe again, then it's fine. But that guilt of not agreeing with what your parents want you to do, that guilt around like what they had to do to give you these opportunities that you're now quote unquote squandering, mm-hmm. like what can they do? I love this question. Ask yourself, what is worse, that guilt or the pain of being unhappy? But happiness is is a superfluous. It is superfluous, but I would say on the whole, if you haven't discovered that sense of like purpose, like what is it? And, and that changes by the way, like it can evolve as well, but you have, you have to do enough exploration to connect the dots in your life and see what's the through line. Like there's, there are no accidents. If you think if I I bet, I would bet anyone that you have on the show, if you ask them to kind of connect the dots, there's always going to be one of two things that are pretty consistent that they consistently love doing, or they consistently bring some joy. There's something, maybe it's around, you know, educating people. Maybe it's around, creating something. Maybe it's around um, standing up for something. There's, there's something in all of us that we, we know inherently, like, I really enjoy doing this. Yeah. And you can figure out a path around that thing that you enjoy. 
And even if it's not something that you can monetize, for example, one of my best friends, you know, would love to doodle and she now does calligraphy. So she does like yeah. these beautiful boards. She does signage for weddings. She um, has a wonderful Instagram with but like I over think 20,000 followers. Yeah. So yeah. she figured out a way to monetize that. This isn't going to be her full time. Although at this point she probably could because, you know, yeah. she gets a sponsorship from big brands now. But that was just like a hobby for her. But she just like enjoys creating something beautiful. And especially if it gets to be a part of somebody's celebration, like a baby shower or wedding, right? So she loves that. And she started a business from that. She still has a full-time job, but she knows that in order to feel good, she has to actively be creating something in the world. Right. Aside from what she loves to do for her full-time job, which is working with students, you know, with disabilities, like that's really important to her too. Now, this other thing, at some point she probably thought, I can't, make a business out of this, right? I can't monetize this to replace my full-time job, but she knew she had to do it just to get that creativity out of her, to use that gift. And she has, and now it is something that is very monetized and she makes really good side money on. She could leave it for, if she wanted to, she hasn't made that decision, but she could, which is just an example of how you have to get really clear on like, what's the thing that I really am good at, that I enjoy doing, that I have to do because it's my gift, right? And yeah. then find, see if there are opportunities for you to monetize it. And even if there aren't, you should still do it. But I bet that there is a, a way to monetize it. In this day and age, you can monetize anything. There's a way to sell that thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. When I said that happiness is superfluous, I was being devil's advocate because I think that previous generations, they didn't even have an opportunity to seek happiness, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think the story in a lot of our generation, millennial generations head is why do I have the right Mm -hmm. to be happy when my parents had to struggle? And especially first generations, I think have that, that voice in their head, like, who are you? You know, mm-hmm. your parents yeah. had to grind. Who do you think you are, night. yeah. You think yeah. your mom went to the spa to get Botox? No, mm-hmm. ma'am. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you think your mom went to the gym every day to make sure her bod was looking right? I don't think so. Like your mom worked three jobs mm-hmm. so that you could get your ass to college, right? So then who are you to throw that college degree away, blah, whatever, and go pursue uh, nail art, <laughs> for a living, right? Right. Like, who are you to go try to be a DJ? Who are you to go do these creative things that Mm -hmm. are not what they struggled to give you the opportunity for, right? I think that's the story. And so then it's like, I think what you started to say was they, they do have to get comfortable with happiness being a reason because that's literally why they did the work they did so that we could have happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think going even further and deeper into it, the more people allow themselves to seek happiness and find it, I think the better the entire world will be. Because like, if you just imagine on a micro scale, the parents coming home from work or maybe not even coming home, but just, you know, be sitting at the computer or whatever their work looks like, they finish work and their child is here. And the work they were doing was something that, that fulfilled them, you know, that fed their purpose, like you're saying, mm-hmm how, what kind of interaction is that parent going to have with that child now, as opposed to coming back from an eight or nine or 10 hour day, 
from a job that they really don't like, even if it pays them well, they're exhausted. Their patients are shred mm-hmm. and they're irritable. Like what kind of interaction now? And then how is that going to affect the kid as the kid grows up? You know what I mean? So I think if people do get comfortable with happiness being a reason to mm-hmm. seek your purpose, to kind of um, maybe deny a lot of those stories that come from previous generations, no matter how hard that might be, I think it will ultimately end in a, in a better world. I feel Absolutely. silly saying that a little bit, but. No, I think it's spot on because purpose is our privilege. And ultimately all of these sacrifices were made for us to have freedom, right? Many first gens come from immigrant backgrounds, or even if you're, you could be white and first gen or black and first gen, if you're still, if you're the first in your family to earn a degree and to navigate these spaces, right? But if you come from an underrepresented group, it's likely that these sacrifices were made for you because your parents or yourself are coming from countries where there's a lack of some kind of freedom. So I'm Cuban. We came to this country as political refugees. Like we didn't have the freedom to have a political voice. And so my mom's sacrifices were for me to be audacious, for me to live my truth, to speak up, to do all of these different things. So I think it's also getting clear on like, why were these things sacrificed for me? I think we often tend to think it's so that I could go get a college degree and have a job, but nowhere in that script does it say have a job and be miserable. Right, <laughs> or like, right. you know? um, so it's, it's happiness, it's freedom, it's actually paying it. We, we, I think often worry about like, um, paying it forward, but also paying it back and, you know, paying yeah. homage to the, to our ancestors and the people that sacrifice. And it's like, what's a better way to, honor them than to live our truth, to be living a life that is on purpose, that you're pursuing the ultimate freedom. And and that highest level of mass. Exactly. Exactly. The self-actualization of being, you know, using your natural gifts and, you know, the skills and the experiences that you've acquired along your journey and contribute to a greater purpose and impact. So you mentioned passion earlier, and I, I actually never use the word passion because I think sometimes that gets misconstrued. People okay. think, oh, I have to follow my passion, and they think that, that it's this thing that fires them up. And that can take you so far because sometimes, especially if you're someone who has a lot of different ideas, sometimes it's like a spark that gets lit and then the spark dies. Right. Mm. And that's what people can associate passion with. Like you have to have this spark and it's like, no, it's not passion. I think that keeps me going with this business. It's the purpose. It's like, what, why am I doing this? And more importantly, who am I impacting? So I think it's very, being very clear on what's the purpose of what you're doing why are you doing it? And who are you impacting? Like, what is the greater purpose of this business? What is it serving? And that, that will, I think, sustain you when it gets really hard, (laughs) when you're like, oh, how am I going to make bills? Or like, why am I still doing this? It's like, oh, right. There's a generation of people who are stuck on survival mode and I'm here to help them shift and realize there's another way. Oh, there's a whole generation of college students that 
don't have access to this information because their family members didn't go to college. So how do I help them? Let me do workshops and teach them how to enter the workforce, how to prepare for an interview, how to, you know, really optimize their resume. And so when I'm very clear on the why, when anyone is very clear on their why, that gives you that burning sense of, I got to keep going. Right. And I think for first gens, it's, eliminating some of those voices that give us all of the guilt and all of the pressure and being clear on what is it that I want? What's, what's that freedom that I'm pursuing? What's the purpose? Like all of those things, because those sacrifices weren't made for us to feel guilty for us to, you know, follow this traditional safe route. If it means that we're sacrificing our happiness in the process, like that's not it. Yeah. So I have at the end of each of my episodes now, I am asking a series of questions. So number one, what does audacity mean to you? Courage. Hmm. It means having the courage to be who you are without worrying about the pressure, the guilt, or what people are going to think, what people are going to say. It's just having the courage to be your authentic self And that is a form of like resistance. That is a form of like, you know, showing joy in the world. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's really good. (laughs) That's really good. Okay. If there's one thing that you wish your younger self knew, what would that be? Ooh, so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would, you know, ironically enough, the thing that I would tell my younger self is to be more audacious because I think... I was trying so hard to be the responsible person and, you know, be the leader who followed this path. And like, I put myself in a box for a long time. And when I was stuck or unhappy and I didn't know how to get out, I would ruminate too much about the consequences and the possibilities. And I, that's why I can say this now that we spend too much time in that phase instead of figuring out the how. So I think in my twenties and I, it's also a symptom of being a 20 something year old, but I was like, Oh, woe is me. I'm so unhappy. I don't know what to do. And then I, I spent a lot of time there as opposed to more time in the solutioning and figuring out the how, but a big part of why I was doing that is because I was scared to pursue something that was different because I didn't know what the outcome would be. And I was very worried about all of those things. Like, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? What if I fail? And I'm just just be audacious. (laughs) Just be audacious. Just be audacious. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm, I'm, it's just making me think that how do you get somebody out of that period of like rumination, you know, out of that, it's almost, sometimes it could be like depression. I mean, for me, a lot of times it shows up Mm -hmm. as depression as like hopelessness. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I how do I get where I want to be? And so I'm just trying to think of like, how do you get somebody out of that? It's just resources and exposure, right? Mm-hmm. It's like doing the kind of work that you and I are doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's putting up videos or showing up on Instagram or doing coaching where you are um, helping people find those solutions, helping people find those resources that they need to pull themselves out of that mm-hmm. low, sad place. I think it starts with being vulnerable and recognizing that there's tremendous power in that and vulnerability leads to courage. You can't have one without the other. Shout out to Brene Brown. Shout out to my 
all the guys that I date who are not vulnerable. Right. That's what I'm dealing with these days. <laughs> all right. Side note. Yeah, no, it, it's true. I mean, it's really hard for men to be vulnerable. Trust me. I know that intimately oh, as well. My partner has had to go through the journey where we're finally, you know, over 10 years on and off, we're wow. finally in a, in a place where he's like, he, he understands all of it, right? Like he had to do his own work to get to this point. So I get That's that. That's awesome though. That's awesome yeah. that you guys both stuck with it and that he was willing to do a lot of work and that yeah. you were willing to be patient. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm grateful for both of our journeys and that we're still here. Um, but I think vulnerability is key and that leads to having conversations. So you can ruminate on your own. And I spent a lot of time doing that and a lot of time hiding and pretending like everything was okay. And then just, you know, masking the unhappiness by going out to drink or, you know, wasting time or, you know, doing all, all of these other things, because that was a way of procrastinating and not really, thinking about or talking through the hard stuff. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like we yeah. are very good at pretending and masking things when we're not happy, distracting, yeah. distracting ourselves. Yes. Yeah. I had so many distractions and it wasn't until I started to have vulnerable conversations that I realized, well, this isn't just a me thing. This is, you know, a symptom of being a 20 something or not knowing what career path to follow and having those vulnerable conversations gave me access to solutions, whether that was through a mentor or through an opportunity or through volunteer efforts. And all of those experiences, I abstracted something from them and it's been a part of my journey and it helped me grow and develop and get to a point now where it's like, I don't waste time in that rumination. Sure. Mm -hmm. I will give myself grace and you know, I, I know how to self-soothe now and all of the things I have the tools I've done the worst. I have the tools. Right. And so I do that more quickly when I'm in that space. And now I know that I can move past that and focus on the solutioning piece. Right. You kind of just answered one of the questions was what is something that made a huge difference for you difference for you in regards to building your confidence. And I think you sort of just touched on it. You, you tried all of these things and you mm -hmm. extracted the things that meant something to you. Mm -hmm. And I think doing that, go ahead. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I love, the myth that I love to, to debunk about confidence is that a lot of people think like you're either confident or you're not like it's no. inherent and it's no. not true. <laughs> Skill. It's a muscle. Yeah. It's a muscle like anything else. And there's like two parts to confidence. One is the mindset. Like you have to believe in yourself first. You can't yeah. convince anybody else if you don't believe it. So it's mindset. You have to believe it. And then it's proof. You go out there and you do the thing enough times and it serves as proof that you're good at something. So public speaking is a great example. Like the last oh, keynote yeah. that I did, somebody said afterwards, like, oh, you're such a great storyteller. And I... Like it really warmed my heart because I never saw myself as a storyteller. I never thought I could do that. Yeah. Stand up in front of a group of people and like boldly share my story and have fun with it. And in the process, like make an impact. I wanted to do that. There was a part of me that had that vision that wanted to pursue that. But then that, that voice in our heads that is fear ridden, it would be like, oh, that's not you. Like you don't have, you're not, you know, a Tony Robbins. You're not like a tall, you know, 
you don't have a deep voice yeah you don't have a deep voice yeah oh my god your voice is really you know yeah like that that reminds me of my friend nicole who i did a podcast with she owns a gallery in miami and she told me that for the longest time she had this view she had this image of what a gallery owner looks like and it was Mm -hmm. not what she looked like right and so it's something as simple and silly as that that holds us back sometimes like i'm not a public speaker because i don't look or sound or command a room like tony robbins does and as you were talking i was just thinking like i think everybody is a storyteller Yes. Like, cause everybody has a story. So yes. it's just intri- mm-hmm. intrinsic in us. Like we are all storytellers. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that whole point of you can't, it's hard to be what you can't see, but sometimes there aren't those yes. examples. A, a gallery owner looks a certain way mm-hmm. and that's by virtue of all of the things that happen in our society, in our country. Mm-hmm. So be the first one that looks different. Yeah. Be audacious enough to be that person. And then yeah. you, by doing that, you have no idea the ripple effect that that's going to have. Someone else who has wanted to be a gallery owner and couldn't do it now is looking up to you and saying, oh, it can look differently. It can look this way. Yeah. And so that's the whole point of being audacious and to be an audacious entrepreneur. If you and, have the vision. And <laughs> she's paying it forward because she's like bringing in a lot of artists that are from Mexico. She's from Mexico. So bringing in a lot of different types of art from different types of places that you don't normally see. And so she's literally giving people opportunity, just like what you, what you're doing, like you are focusing on this specific niche. So you are creating space for that Mm -hmm. specific type of person that might not really be there or not be as focused and specific and effective. Mm -hmm. Right. So I love that. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I I have to check out your friend's gallery now. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, wait, where do you live? I'm in New Jersey. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. No, but I definitely want to be somewhere warmer. So I'll be exploring Florida some more. I was there. I have a friend who lives in Miami Beach. So I was there, I think, February. Okay. I loved it. I love being in warm weather. I really like it. I lived in New York for 14 years. uh, Well, as an adult for 14 years. And I just moved here in 2020. And I mean, I hate to be so cliche, but like the weather makes such a huge difference for me. It Mm -hmm. makes it so much easier for me to be happy. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, I'm a happier person in under the sun and near the beach flowing nearby. Absolutely. Uh, I definitely want to explore that. Um, But yeah, so confidence is something that you can cultivate and you cultivate it by mindset and through just doing the thing, doing the thing to the point where you feel confident doing it. And that doesn't mean that you don't get nervous. I still get nervous every time. Uh, I do my power posing right before I have to get up and speak. I actually, uh, I'm going to give away um, a secret here, but I always do like breath work in the beginning of my my yeah whenever I start like a a keynote to get the audience like in their bodies and like to center them I do like some kind of breath 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 work and power posing but that's also a way to do it for myself like I'm centering myself and I'm doing it with the audience I love that I'm still very nervous and you know it's nerve-wracking but I remember I am being audacious I have the courage to be up here and to do this. So it doesn't have to be perfect and it's not going to be. And sometimes I'll forget one part of whatever I thought I was going to say. Nobody's going to know the difference. They don't know what I'm saying. They are just there to get the experience and the insights and the knowledge. And so 
I'm in the ring, I'm being courageous. And that's how I continue to cultivate that confidence. So I would say definitely tapping into resources and trainings like fearless communicators and other things. So learning the skills that I wanted to improve on um, and really investing in myself and investing in those trainings, uh, build my confidence, but also doing it over and over again is yeah. the, the, the sheerest, the, the quickest way to gain confidence. Yep. Practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. Yes. What okay. do you think needs to happen for women to get more opportunity in the business world? Who I can talk about this for a whole episode, but I think <laughs> it starts with creating opportunities for each other. Mm. I, um, yep. I had some really great female mentors and sponsors in my corporate experience. And because of their efforts and their, you know, connecting me and, you know, being role models and uh, leading by example, I, I, I had a really great corporate career, especially in the latter half of the last organization that I had. And then there were also also other women who weren't so great to work with, who, you know, didn't uh, advocate when they could have or should have, who were roadblockers, who were gatekeepers, and that still happens. And women still do that to each other. And so how do we create more opportunities? It's by creating more opportunities for each other by, you know, saying someone's name in a room that they need to be mentioned in um, by, I love this one meme where it says something to the effect of like, be the kind of woman who fixes somebody else's crown without having to tell other people. So it's like, just like advocating for each other without necessarily expecting. You don't need acknowledgement. Exactly. Like you don't need the acknowledgement. You just do it. And that's going to, because that's going to pay it forward for that woman. And because you're just accumulating good karma. You don't need credit for everything all of the time, you know, and sometimes credit even comes like sometimes, sometimes it may even come automatically, right? Like if you do Mm -hmm. something nice for some, for someone there, your name is going to stick in their head and they're going to remember you because of that nice thing. And then if an opportunity arises, maybe they then say your name. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like it just happens organically. You don't have to be like, Oh, oh, I did this for her. I did this for her. She only got that because of me. But you know, there are people who are like that. And because they're, they live in lack, right? They live in lack scarcity mindset. Absolutely. And there are also some women who had to, the different generation, they had to work really hard to where they got to. And, you know, in a lot of male dominated industries, and I've heard women say this, where it's like, no one helped me. And that's their mentality. So it's like, I had to do it on my own. So you yeah. figure it out, you pay your dues. There are people who, who think that way. that way. Yeah. And they're the ones who tend to be in these higher leadership roles because they're a little bit older, a different generation. And so, you know, a call to action on them is sure you had to navigate it on your own and that sucks but you can pay it forward so that no other woman has to feel that pain. Like, why would you want them to go through the same struggle? They've forgotten what they've had to compromise to get Mm -hmm. where they are. You know, it's like a badge of honor that they've had to sacrifice parts and pieces of themselves to get Mm -hmm. to where they are. And and they don't even, they don't see it because it's Mm -hmm. the air that they breathe by Mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. And this whole like, Oh, 
uh, the first woman to do this. Like it's 2022. I'm so tired of like still having firsts. <laughs> I'm glad that it's happening, but like we need to create a world where it's the norm and we can't create that as the norm if we still think that we're in competition with each other and we're not in competition with each other. And if we are, it should be a healthy competition, not like men compete all the time and they don't always do it in this like cutthroat ways. In some industries they do, yeah. not gonna lie. No, like, yeah, the they, space. It can be cutthroat, true. but <laughs> it doesn't yeah, but have for to the be. most part, it's like it's like fun and almost like fun and games competition. Exactly. Like, oh, okay, you got it, bro. Like, good job. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'll get you though. I'm gonna get you next time. But for women, it's it's more because it goes deeper. Like if somebody mm-hmm. else gets that position over you, it means something about your worth mm-hmm. and your skills and your talent and like, you know, your value. But for men, it doesn't mean that about them. They're just like, you know what? That's fine. There's another opportunity over here. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And they won't think twice about it. They'll just keep it moving, you know? Mm. Um, So we have to create more opportunities for each other. We have to advocate for each other and continue to pay it forward to the next generation. There's a whole generation behind us that have different skill set because they're Gen Z and whatever comes after them, right? Like, so we have to um, shepherd them, but also in a way where we're not uh, imposing, you know, we're, we're sharing the knowledge and the resources, but we don't need to impose on them either. And I think that that's, that's a big part of like a lot of the things that are wrong with our world, like too much imposition and, right. you know, uh, monopolizing this. Think, and yeah. Right. The they power think that dynamics. they know the right way. They exactly. think that there is a right way. There's too many mm-hmm. right ways. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. We just have to create more spaces for each other and empower each other. Love it. Love it. And that's that's what I'm here for. Yay! <laughs> I'm so glad you've created this space, and um, I'm happy we had a chance to, to connect and chat me about too. all these different things. Please yeah. let me know if you come to Miami. I would love to meet in person. Oh, absolutely! I definitely will be at some point this year. I know for a fact because okay. we've been talking about it. It's like we have to go back there. Um, so I'll definitely um, keep you posted when I'm there. Great, great. Uh, before I let you go, please just tell the audience where they can find you. All the links. Yes. Please follow me on Instagram at Propel on Purpose. I that's where I do most of my social media posting, and then of course uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Angelise Cordero. You can also follow Propel on Purpose has a business page on on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you're interested in any services, check out my website PropelOnPurpose.com. And I of course will put all of these links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Angelise. It was such a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Thank you so much. I'm so happy I got to be a part of it. Oh my God, we talked about so many things in this episode. I imagine that there was so much that you resonated with and I would really love it if you would send me a message and let me know what exactly you liked about this episode. It would mean so much to me if you would write me a five-star review wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. And please share this with your friends. Let them know that you're listening to the Audacious Founder podcast and that you're loving it. Thank you again for listening and I will talk to you soon.